Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Death is powerful, especially for those left behind. It seems like the end. None of us think it will happen to us or to someone we know. It is a distant idea. But when the phone rings in the middle of the night, or the doctor calls in the middle of the day, death is suddenly very real and very powerful. It is something we have no control over. We can delay it, but we cannot avoid it. Even if you believe in the power of God and trust in the idea of an eternity with Him, death scares us. We are still human, tangible, We like the idea of heaven, but we don't want to go there quite yet. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He made this statement in the home of his friends, Mary and Martha, after their brother Lazarus had died, been dead for days. Jesus said to Martha, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you believe this? Jesus proclaims to have power over not only life, but death. Do you believe this? Well, good morning to you all and welcome to our central campus here at Center Street Church and I want to welcome those of you worshiping in our South Campus as well, and all of you worshiping online with us this morning. I want to welcome you. Well, we're in the middle of our summer series here, where each week we're focusing on one of the I Am statements that Jesus makes about himself from the book of John, found in the Bible. Jesus makes each of these statements to show his divinity, to show and help people understand that he's just not another prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just someone who can perform miracles. He is God. He's God come to earth to rescue humankind. And what Jesus does in these I am statements that he makes is he reaches back into the Old Testament from the encounter that God had with Moses at the burning bush. And what God did in that encounter was he gave Moses his name. He said, my name is I am And what Jesus does is Jesus reaches back and takes that name and applies that name to himself. And in each one of these I am statements, Jesus is saying that he is God. He is God come to earth to rescue humankind. Jesus makes these I am statements and we can better understand who he is. It's a window for us to understand what Jesus is like and what his mission was on this earth. And a number of weeks ago, Ashwin taught us 
about Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. Two weeks ago, we looked at I am the bread of life. And this morning, we're going to examine this amazing statement that Jesus makes when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. But what is a resurrection? How do we understand what a resurrection is? How would we define this? Well, a resurrection is when something that has been dead... Confirmed dead is then raised back to life. Something that's been dead becomes undead. That process is reversed and now it's alive. It once was dead, but now it's alive. We were talking about this statement here with our staff about a week and a half ago. And one of the guys on our team, Kevin Crow, said, Kent, you kids are going to love this, right? He said, Kent, you should do is when you come out, you should bring a little fly that's been frozen with you. And just leave it on a little counter and I'm not brave enough to do this this morning but but he said bring a fly put it on the little table that's been frozen a fly that's been frozen and what's going to happen is is it'll it'll look dead and then it'll start to thaw and it'll wiggle around and then it'll fly away and I said Kevin really can this really happen is this true and he said yes Ken I've tried it it's true what you do is you capture a fly put it into your freezer I don't know for how long but put it in the freezer And then bring it out, set it on the counter or something, and you can move it around. It'll look like it's dead. And after a little while, it'll wiggle, and then it'll just thaw, and it'll fly away. And I saw this happen on YouTube, right, just a couple of days ago. It's true. Now, moms, I take no responsibility for any flies that you find in your freezer this coming week, right? Because your kids want to try this out, or even some of you husbands are thinking like I was, this is cool. I want to see if this works. Please don't send me emails. But I can assure you, right, that Jesus, when he makes this statement, he's not talking about a silly fly. He's not referring to a silly fly. When Jesus makes this statement, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, knowing that the world that he created continually, continually suffers from the experience of death and dying. Death entered into the world as a result of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. And we have felt the effects of sin and death since that time. So that everything in our world, including the the world that we live in, but everything that's a part of our world experiences death. Death is terrible. Death is horrible. Death is our enemy. Death is God's enemy. Death was not a part of God's original plan for humankind. But... The reality of death is something that we experience, will experience in our own lives, and we've suffered the, the pain of death in other people's lives. But when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he speaks with power and he speaks with supreme authority in opposition and in defiance of death because Jesus brings dead things back to life. With Jesus, dead things don't stay dead. He brings a calloused and a cold and a hardened heart back to life. He can do that. He can bring a dead marriage back to life. He can bring a dead friendship back to life. He can bring a diseased body back to wholeness and health. He can bring someone who's spiritually dead back to life and alive spiritually. He can bring someone dead in unforgiveness and restore them to life. And we'll see in John chapter 11 this morning that Jesus can even bring a person who's been dead for four days back to life. 
Because in John chapter 11, Jesus makes this statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And he makes this statement in a much bigger story, in a bigger context of where his good friend Lazarus, the friend that he loves, dies. And Jesus brings him back to life. And I want us to walk through the account of this story together this morning. And I believe many of you will identify with Thomas in this story. Some of you might identify with Martha. Some of you might identify with Mary. But most of all, in the time that we have together, my prayer, my purpose, my goal is that you would be moved to a deeper experience of believing in Jesus, that you would be moved and have a deeper conviction to trust in Jesus, regardless of the circumstances of your life, but that you would once again, or maybe for the first time, make the conviction and say, you know what, even though this is going on, I will believe, I will trust in Jesus. Because here's the thing, in the whole Gospel of John, right, the fourth book in the New Testament, there's 21 chapters in John, and 90 times the word believe or the word trust is used. 90 times, 21 chapters. And in John chapter 11, the first 44 verses, seven times the word believe is is used. And the, the message in this chapter here, the whole purpose is that Martha and Mary and Thomas and even Lazarus and Jesus and the disciples, not Jesus, but the disciples, but everybody else witnessing this this miracle would believe in Jesus, would trust in him and follow him wholeheartedly. That's the central message of this chapter. Believe in Jesus. So my prayer is that as we move through John chapter 11, you will walk out of here in a few minutes with a deeper conviction to trust and believe in Jesus. Regardless of the circumstances, the situations in your life. Because his very purpose in coming to this earth was so that we would believe in him and that he would lead each one of us to life, to life in him. So turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already done so, to John chapter 11 or follow along on the screen. And this true story begins this way. Verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So right away here, there's bad news. Lazarus is sick. His sisters, Martha and Mary, send word then to to, uh, Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus was at this point about 100 kilometers north. So Mary and Martha said, someone go talk to Jesus and tell him Lazarus is sick. And tell him to come as quickly as he can. In verse 4, when he, when Jesus heard this, Lazarus was sick. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus is saying there's a bigger agenda. There's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger plan here. This sickness will not end in death. And then verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was two more days. And then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? And then verse 11, Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. 
Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. So that you may believe. But let's go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus just means twin, said to the rest of the disciples, well, let's also go that we may die with him. And so here in the story, we come to Thomas. And perhaps you're here this morning and you find yourself like Thomas. Thomas, we also know as doubting Thomas, right? Because when Jesus died and then Jesus was raised back to life, Thomas says to everybody listening, well, until I touch Jesus, until I see the scars on his hands and his feet, I'm not going to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so here in verse 16, when Thomas says, well, let us also go that we may die with him, either Thomas is full of courage and bravado or he's being sarcastic. And I think he's being a little bit cheeky here because I think he's frustrated. I think he has some doubts and questions about Jesus' plan and Jesus' agenda because there's some strange things happening in this part of the story here. Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, right? And then we read that Jesus stayed two more days in the location that he was in. And I think Thomas was thinking, Jesus, why aren't you hurrying to heal the person that you love? Why are you delayed? I think Thomas doubted Jesus' timing. And then Jesus was saying, well, he's asleep. But then Jesus kind of says, well, no, he's dead now. And I think Thomas might be saying, Jesus, what are you saying? Just be clear with us. And then Bethany was south of where they were, right by Jerusalem. And the last time, you can read about this in John chapter 10, the last time that Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, the Jews there tried to hurl rocks at them to stone them and kill them. And so Jerusalem is the last place that Thomas or anybody wants to go. And I think Thomas finally says, well, fine. Let's just all go there. It'll be the death of us anyway, but at least we'll die together. I think he's being a bit sarcastic. What he's trying to communicate is, I don't understand. I'm confused. I have doubts about your plan here, Jesus. I have doubts about the way that you didn't rush to heal Lazarus. I have doubts about going to Jerusalem. I don't understand what you're doing here. And you know what? The plan that you have is going to be the death of us all. I have doubts. And maybe your heart and your mind these days are filled with doubts because you see all that's going on in your life, the circumstances, the situations that you're in, maybe because of the decisions that you've made or the decisions that others have made. But you're looking at your life situation, you're saying, I don't understand what's going on here. I have questions. I have doubts. Maybe you prayed about something and you, you believe that Jesus would answer you in this way, but he didn't. Maybe you even have doubts about trusting or believing in him because of what's going on in your life. When I was in university, <clears throat> I signed up to take a science class. And science isn't my strong point, so I picked geology, thinking that that would be easy. And so I went to my first geology, the first day of class, went to the, the class there, sat down. The very first day, one of the very first things the professor did was he said, okay, all of you in the room, whoever believes that the earth is 6,000 years old, I want you to raise your hand. And I didn't raise my hand because I thought, man, I'm being set up here. No one raised their hand. And then the professor went on to say that the biblical account of creation in the Bible is a myth. And that if anybody in the room believes in the biblical account of creation and a young earth, you better drop the class right now and leave because 
this was not a perspective that he was willing to entertain and teach from and acknowledge. And so I didn't drop the class. I continued on. But boy, did I wrestle that year through if I could trust the words of this book. I wrestled through doubts. Wrestled through doubts. In the middle of your doubts this morning, perhaps a situation or circumstance in your life, in the middle of your doubts, will you choose once again, decide once again, to believe in Jesus, to trust in him? Maybe the person that you love is sick and you have doubts. Maybe your dream marriage is falling apart. Maybe a dear friend that you have is drifting away. Maybe the job you love is going away. Maybe the bank account that you have cannot handle your expenses. And the circumstances of your life are leading you to doubt. And doubts even if you can believe and trust in Jesus. And you feel like you're dying a little bit on the inside because of the questions that you have. In the middle of your doubts, in the middle of your situation, in the middle of your circumstances, will you once again trust and believe in Jesus? And trust what you know to be true about Jesus. And hold on to those things that you know to be true about him. Because you see, in the middle of Lazarus dying, in the middle of Jesus and the disciples heading into this hostile territory, in the middle of all of these wonderings, is this the good plan, Jesus? Thomas and the disciples were left in this situation where they had to decide, will I trust in what I know to be true about Jesus? Will I still trust and believe in him? What I know to be true. And hold on to that. In the middle of your doubts this morning, will you trust? Will you believe in Jesus? Let's go back to our text here in verse 17. Jesus and the disciples now are headed to Bethany to go see Lazarus. We read this in verse 17. On his arrival, on Jesus' arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Those are words spoken by someone who's discouraged. It's clear that Martha is discouraged. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. What she's obviously saying is, I don't understand why you couldn't have come sooner. Couldn't you have come sooner? Was there no other way for you to arrive sooner? Why did things that turn out this way? Could you not have healed my brother from afar? Did you have to come here to this location before you might do something? There's so many questions at why her brother is in the tomb. And the person that had the power to do anything about it showed up late, was delayed. And Martha is discouraged. She's disappointed and she's disillusioned. And maybe you're here this morning and you identify with Martha because you are struggling to manage and operate with feelings of discouragement, under feelings of disappointment and disillusionment. And you're feeling discouraged because things didn't turn out the way that you hoped they would. And hope is the key here. Hope is fading a little bit because of your discouragement. 
You hoped your life would be different. You hoped your job would be different. You hoped your body would look different. You hoped you would have life with children. You imagined running your own business. You hoped, I mean, you fill in the blank. You hoped this would happen, but it didn't. In the middle of your discouragement, will you believe still in Jesus? Will you still trust in him? Will you still hope in him? We can feel discouraged about the state of our spiritual lives. We can feel discouraged about the state of our government. We can feel discouraged because there's still child slavery going on. There's still poverty in our world. There's still disease that could be cured. And at times we just feel discouraged and we say, Jesus, if only you could, if only you would, if only you had, if only things would be different, why are things the way they are? And in the middle of your disappointment, in the middle of your discouragement, will you put your trust in Jesus? Because the central message of John chapter 11 is that question. Will you believe in Jesus? In spite of, in the middle of your circumstances, in the middle of your discouragement. And in the middle of Martha's discouragement, Jesus says these words to her in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asks Martha squarely, do you believe this? And what an amazing declaration and confession that Martha says, she says, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Amazing statement. And what Jesus is telling Martha is this, in my very nature, I have the power of life. I have the power of life. I have power over death. I reign and rule supreme. I have ultimate power. And I can bring dead things back to life. Death does not have power over me. And then Jesus describes two ways that he has power over death. And Jesus says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And what Jesus is talking about here is our physical bodies, that at one day we will all die. Every human being will die. But in the future, at some point in the future, Jesus will raise us back to life and we will get a brand new body and we will live with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth that he will create. And even though we die, whoever believes in him will live again. The new body. And then Jesus says... Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And what Jesus is saying here is that when a person by faith believes in Jesus, trusting the whole of their life to him, their spirit is brought to life. It's like on the inside, their heart and mind or soul are made brand new. And they're a new creation. The old has gone away or sin is forgiven and they're made brand new on the inside. And this spiritual life starts immediately. While we are still living, not at some point in the future, but immediately in this spiritual and supernatural life will continue on forever. It will never die. That's what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I bring dead things back to life. And it's only through me that you can find life truly in this life and life in eternity. 
And if you're discouraged, believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus because here's why. Because he has authority and power over all circumstantial things and physical things in this world, including your own body and mind. And he has authority over all things in the supernatural and in the spiritual realm. That's why we can believe in Jesus and trust in him. Will you choose today once again, in the middle of your discouragement and your disappointment, to say, yes, I will believe in you, Jesus, because I'll hope in you and what you have done and who you are and who you've said you are. And then after this encounter with Jesus, Martha leaves. Leaves that setting. Mary had stayed at home, right? And Martha then goes and talks to Mary and says, Mary, Jesus is here and he's asking for you. In verse 32, when Mary then reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the same thing Mary did. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Kids in the room, this is the shortest verse in the Bible. You want to rem memorize a little verse? Memorize this one. <laughs> Two words. Verse 35, Jesus wept. But kids, when you feel a little bit sad and you're crying, know that Jesus cries with you. He cries with you. His heart hurts for you. Moms and dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, when you feel sad and full of sorrow and you're crying, know that Jesus cries with you. Jesus wept here. He identifies with us in our tears. And it's clear from these verses here that Mary's heart was full and heavy and overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. And she was crying, and others were crying, and Jesus was crying. And you might be here this morning, and your heart is overwhelmed with grief and just full of sorrow. And you find yourself so close to tears so much of the time. A number of years ago, my brother went through a separation in his marriage, and that separation ended in divorce. And during this season of his life, his heart was just filled with grief and sorrow and weighing on him. It was heavy on him. Sometimes the oddest things, the weirdest things, and the smallest things would just move him and trigger him, and he'd just be crying. Sometimes for even no reason at all, he'd just be driving along, and he'd just, grief and sorrow would just come out of him, and he'd just be moved to tears. And during this season, he was living with my wife and I and our kids. And I remember one evening, I went down and just was talking with him about the circumstance, the situation. And he just started crying. And I'm his brother, right? So I was moved to tears and I was crying with him. And we were both just in sorrow and grief. And then, then we did the thing that we could only think of doing in a setting, a scenario like that. We prayed. And we prayed, and I prayed for him, and he prayed, and prayed that God by his spirit would comfort him. And the one constant 
dependable, all the time source of strength for him during this season of his life was his belief and his trust in Jesus. In Jesus. In the middle of your grief, in the middle of your sorrow, in the middle of you identifying with Mary, will you once again say, you know what? I will trust, I will believe in Jesus. In the middle of my grief, I will believe in Jesus. Will you trust in him? Knowing that he is your God who cries along with you. And the Bible is clear. It says that Jesus was familiar with pain. Jesus was familiar with suffering. And he is present with you by his spirit. And he's the one who can comfort you in the middle of your grief. And this morning, maybe you need to ask him and say, Jesus, just make your Holy Spirit real in my life and comfort me. And I trust in you. We see Thomas in this story dying in his doubts. We see Martha overcome with discouragement. We see Mary dying in the middle of her grief. And the rest of the disciples at this point in the story are all standing around. Mary, Martha, Thomas. Friends of theirs. Friends of Lazarus. And they're standing in front of the tomb. And Lazarus is inside the tomb. And death has him. And there's this stone that covers the entrance to this tomb. And they're all standing in front there. And since Jesus heard about Lazarus being sick, Jesus' agenda, Jesus' plan was to come and stand in front of this tomb. His plan was to stand in front of this tomb and for Lazarus not to die because Jesus said the sickness will not end in death. And Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there to heal him because all of this is happening so that God's son would be glorified and so that you would believe in me that God has sent me to the earth. And this was an opportunity for everybody witnessing this event to believe and place their faith and trust in Jesus and follow him wholeheartedly. And so Jesus, standing in front of that tomb, says this in verse 39, take the stone away. Take the stone away, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. He's really dead. Been in there for four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you, and then this word again, believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took the stone away and then Jesus looked up and he prayed. He prays to his heavenly father. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then what happened? The dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine the party? I mean, can you imagine the celebration? Can you imagine... The looks on everybody's face, seeing Lazarus walk out of this tomb. Can you imagine being present at such a supernatural event where the natural course of death and human decay was reversed 
and he's brought back to life again. And Jesus' whole purpose for raising Lazarus from the dead was that those who witnessed this event would believe in Jesus. And we have just read this story this morning. You are witnesses of this event that took place thousands of years ago. And will you believe in Jesus? In the middle of your doubts, in the middle of your discouragement, the middle of your grief, will you believe in him? Because it's when you believe in him that his power, his life in you by his spirit can manifest through your life what Jesus wants to do in your life and for you to influence the people around you. Jesus would not ask you to believe in him were he not capable of carrying the full weight of your doubts, your grief, your discouragement, your cares, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, your physical life, your financial situation, your family life, your future, and even your eternity. He wouldn't ask you to believe in him if he was not trustworthy and faithful. And he's proven that he is trustworthy. You might be here this morning, and you even feel dead in your sin held captive by your sin. Well, Jesus has proven that he can take the full weight of your sin on him. You might be here and you're still dead in your sin, and your sin is what separates you from a life with Jesus. Sin leads to death physically and spiritually. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, showing that he has the power to raise us back to life someday in the future, giving us a new body. And Jesus has the power right now to regenerate your soul that is dead in sin. He has the power to bring it back to life, to make you brand new and alive in your inner being. He has the power to forgive you, remove all of your sin, and make you brand new, make you whole, make you clean, make you righteous before him so that you can have a relationship with Jesus that is real and vibrant. And Jesus describes this whole process as being born brand new, born again, born in a new way. In the middle of your sin, will you believe in Jesus? Will you trust in him? This all happens by believing in Jesus. And to believe in Jesus means this. It means that you take the whole weight of who you are, all of who you are as a person, every facet of your life. And you take all of that and you stand on Jesus. You put the full weight of who you are onto Jesus, trusting in him, having faith in him, believing in him, all of who you are, trusting him with all aspects of your life, present and in the future. I've got a question for you Just by a show of hands. How many of you have been to the top of the Calgary Tower? Right at the very top. Yeah, a whole bunch of you. If you haven't been up there, go up there at some point been up there once it's beautiful it's fantastic such an amazing view of our city and the rocky mountains it's gorgeous it's amazing but I have a problem going up there because I'm afraid of heights and even the elevator ride to the top just does something to my stomach and it makes me a little bit anxious and you know when you get those cold sweats that's what I get when I'm at the top of the Calgary Tower. But I love being up there. It's beautiful. It's magnificent. It's amazing to stand up there. But here's the other thing. Those of you who have been up there, you know this. Do, you, do all of you know about the plexiglass in the floor? Right? A lot of you know about that. I can hear some little murmurs. 
What, the, what they've done is they've, they've extended the floor out and put plexiglass in the floor. And supposedly, a person can actually walk on that plexiglass. And supposedly, it can handle your weight. And a lot of you kids here, you've probably walked across that plexiglass. Or you see people even laying down on it and looking straight down. It is almost impossible for me to stand on that plexiglass and look. I'm not even sure how far it is down. But I believe I stood on that for maybe a second. And then I quickly hop off. (laughs) Because it just makes me queasy in my stomach. It makes me lightheaded. It's almost impossible for me to do it. But I did it once. And I trusted and I believed taking the full weight of who I am and just standing on that plexiglass window, trusting that it would support me. And it did. And it did. And Jesus says to you and I, place the full weight of your intellect, your mind, place the full weight of your emotions, your heart, place the full weight of your physiology, your physical body, the full weight of your soul, of your future, and even trust me to forgive you from all the wrong things that you have done, the wrong things and the sin that separate me from you. Jesus says, place the full weight of who you are as a human being on me and believe in me. Trust in me. Submit your life to me. Surrender your life to me. The Bible says, while we were still dead in our sin, and even while we were still sinners in the middle of our sin, Jesus Christ died for us, and he was raised back to life for us. He came back to life so that he could raise us back to life in him. And the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in all of us who believe in Jesus. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ back from the dead is in you and in me. And he wants to do something in us to lead us into life, and he wants to do something through us to impact the people around us, to bless others. Jesus can save you from your sin if you trust him as your savior. And maybe you're here this morning, and for the very first time, you just say, I want to be free from my life of sin. And Jesus, I believe in you. But how do you know Out of all I've talked about this morning, how do you know that life is available to you in Jesus? How do you know that hope can be available to you if you're discouraged and and his spirit, Jesus' spirit, can, can give you faith even though you doubt? How do you know that he will comfort you by his spirit when you're in a time of grief? How do you know that he will forgive you your sin and wipe your slate clean? How can you be certain? Well, let me explain how you can be certain in this way. I think all of us are grateful that these days when we go to a store, right, and we purchase something, that we can return it. Especially for those of you, if you have buyer's remorse, you might buy something and you think, oh man, I shouldn't have bought that. Well, you can return it. If you don't open it, you know, you you bring it back with your receipt. Maybe you buy something and you try it out in your home and you think, well, this, this isn't really what I had imagined and it's not fitting in this way. And you can return it. All you need is your receipt. 
Right? You all know this, right? All you need is your receipt. If you show up to the counter and say, well, I'd like to return this, they'll ask you, well, do you have your receipt? Yeah, I have my receipt. Great. You put your receipt down. Everything is taken care of. Everything should go smoothly. But if you don't have your receipt, you're in trouble. If you don't have your receipt, they'll say, well, where's your receipt? You say, well, I don't know. Well, how does the store owner know that you bought that? How do they know that you paid for that? How do they know that you just didn't walk into the store and then come to the counter and say that you want to return it? How do they know that you didn't buy it from another store? How do they know? How do they have proof? So if you don't have your receipt, most likely won't be able to return it, even if you did buy it from that location. But if you have your receipt, you can just walk up to the counter. You'll have no problem at all because your receipt is proof. It's evidence that you have paid for that item in full. And based on that receipt, you can return that item. In a similar way, when you believe in Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. They have been paid for in full. They've been covered. They've been paid for. When you feel doubts in your own mind and you think, boy, have I been forgiven? When you feel accused by Satan of your sin, when you feel ashamed of your sin, where's your receipt? Where's your proof? Where's your evidence so that you can know for certain that your sins have been paid for, that you have been forgiven, that your sin has been covered in full. Well, Jesus Christ's resurrection from the grave is your receipt. That's your proof. When you feel like you have not been forgiven, you just say, here is my receipt, here's my evidence, Jesus Christ rose from the grave, therefore my sins have been forgiven. When you feel accused, when you feel ashamed, when you feel condemned, your proof that you have been forgiven, that you have a life in Jesus Christ right now. A relationship with him is made possible by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That is your proof. That's your evidence. That's your receipt. That's the evidence that we have that we can believe in Jesus and trust in him. That's the reason that we can trust in him and believe in him. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. He is alive today in me and in many of you by his spirit. So in the middle of your doubts, will you believe in Jesus? Still, in the middle of your discouragement, even this morning, will you choose once again, say, you know, I believe, I trust in Jesus. In the middle of your grief and your sorrow, will you once again just say, no, I believe and Jesus, in the middle of your sin, will you say, no, I have proof. My sin has been covered and paid for in full because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What an amazing statement for us this morning. Let's close our time in prayer together. Just want us to pray together, and I want to pray especially for those of you in the room this morning who, as I've asked you in the middle of your doubts, your discouragement, your grief, your sin, will you choose again to believe in Jesus? And if you've answered yes to that, I want to pray for you. And I want to ask you actually to raise your hand. So in the middle of your doubts, if you say, I choose to believe in Jesus, just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Yes. 
can put your hands down. For those of you in the middle of your discouragement, if you have said, yes, I again choose, even though I'm discouraged and disappointed, I will trust in Jesus. Raise your hands. Thank you. I want to pray for you. Those of you who, if you're in a season of grief, and you just say once again, Jesus, I choose to believe and trust in you. Holy Spirit, come comfort me. If you're in a season of grief, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. If you feel like you're dead in your sin, and this morning you just say, Jesus, I want to be forgiven. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Yeah. It's an amazing that we can be forgiven. So church, can we just pray together as I pray? Would you agree with me? Agree with me and let's lift up every person who's raised their hand here this morning in prayer. That in an amazing supernatural way, Jesus by his spirit would work in each person's life, bringing faith, bringing hope, bringing comfort, and bringing forgiveness. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are in awe of your power this morning, displayed in the life of Lazarus. We are even in more awe, God, that you raised your son Jesus back to life, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating Satan. And thank you, Jesus, that you are alive and real and at work in this world today by your spirit. We confess and declare that you are real, you are alive, Jesus. And so work. Work in the lives of our friends this morning where there's doubt, bring faith. Bring our friends an ability to believe in the things they know are true about you, Jesus, even today. Increase their faith. For those who need hope, bring hope. Not based on on something little, but based on the authority and the power that you have, Jesus. We We believe in that and therefore we hope. So bring hope, bring comfort to those in a season of grief. And Jesus, even bring forgiveness. Forgive those who've raised their hand this morning just saying they need to be forgiven by you. They long to be forgiven by you. So Holy Spirit, do that work right now. We pray. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May God by his spirit empower you and fill you anew for every good work that he wants you to accomplish this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.